Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Real Forno Show, where we are continuing our school search series with Cole Thompson from Sports Illustrated. And today is all about the wide receivers. There are a lot of quality players. Quite frankly, I'm higher on this class than most of the industry. And I'm okay with that because there's some real talent here. We're going to discuss our top fives. We're going to talk about some sleepers and everything in between. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Managing editor of the USA Today's Vikings Wire. Betting and college football analysis for the Fantasy Points website. Publisher of Substack Run and Shooter. Host of The Good, The Bad. And the Hungi on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, as well as a founding member of Vikings First and Skull. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the fun. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, this time back in the bottom right corner is producer Dave. And as you can see to my left, we have a special guest from Sports Illustrated, covers the world of college football and the Houston Texans, Cole Thompson. How are you doing, my friend? Tyler. I enjoy that I get to talk to you. I love that you have a Warren Moon jersey in your background, and I love that we are talking wide receivers today because you brought up a point at the very start of the show that I really appreciate it. You like the wide receiver class. Now, I am not high on the wide receiver class in number one potential, which I think is a big separation between not liking the wide receiver class, but also thinking that the wide receiver class is good. You don't need a number one in Minnesota. You need a complimentary piece, and this is the draft. Where if you are needing a number two, you better be salivating at the mouth because there are a plethora of weapons from days one, days two, and days three that are going to be on the roll and are going to be massive role players for this offense for Kevin O'Connell. 
Oh, absolutely. And I'm really excited to just as a whole. I think there is one guy with number one potential. And let, let's kind of start there because um, I, I don't know if you checked on my big board that I dropped earlier this week. My number two player right now, after having 50 guys scouted in depth, is Quentin Johnston. I love his potential. I think that yeah, some of his limitations were, one, due to the offense. He's not asked to do a lot of different things. He's not asked to run a full route tree. And Max Duggan, really fun college quarterback, but he's in the fun-bad category. And there were some real limitations where he couldn't get the ball far enough to really capitalize on Quentin Johnson's speed and deep ability. I think especially with his really quick feet and his ability to learn and understand nuance, I think he has a chance to be a real difference maker and a potential number one. And you know what? Justin Jefferson opposite him, he'll be a third or fourth option. He can just be your yak and deep guy, and then you can teach him the rest. Um, What do you think about Quentin Johnson, and how close are you to me on thinking that he has that kind of potential? I view him as a big boomer bust guy. And what I mean by that is that in the Mm -hmm. right offensive personnel, he is going to be a consistent machine. Yak is his big thing for him. I love his size, six foot three. He measured in, I think, at, uh, what was it, 200 and. Uh, 210 pounds at the combine so he's got enough size to what you're looking for on the outside huge vertical i mean 40.5 inch vertical so the guy got up so he can move and be able to go ahead and box out players because of that Mm -hmm. i I agree with you on one thing i think that max duggan was a college football quarterback and there's nothing wrong with that there's a lot of good college football quarterbacks that we're going to talk about for the history of the sport but i look at a guy like quentin johnson and i feel like he's probably a player that will benefit from going to the right NFL offense that will allow him to have a really good formality to his career. The thing that I worry about with him is his route running. Uh, I I don't think he's as pristine as a route runner as maybe some other people do. I I think that he sometimes will kind of round off at the top of his tree. Uh, I think that the overall route tree is also very limited because of what the style of offense they want to run with the likes of Garrett Riley. So that's something that you have to benefit from. But when you're looking for contested catches, I think that he can easily win in that category. I think he's got a very long stride to be able to win at the point of an attack downfield. He can work from top to bottom as a playmaker from, I think that would be a word I would describe him as, you're not getting a home run threat, but you're not getting a single. You're getting a guy that hits a lot of doubles and a lot of triples, 18-yard routes, a lot of 12-yard comebacks, a lot of 22-yard deep post patterns. This is where I think he's going to thrive and find a niche role for himself in the NFL. I think he's got a lot of athletic traits that you really like about him. Uh, a, a comp that I saw from him, and, and I don't really like to do comps personally because of it's very challenging to say X player means this, but there's a, there is one I saw to where if he can be at this level, he's going to be a really good, consistent number two of offers to Justin Jefferson. And it's Alshon Jeffrey. You size to your ability. Ah. Yeah, you size to your ability to be able to win at the top of your point, win with contested catches, and be somebody that wins with physicality over, I think, route running. And I think that's a really good thing for him. And going to an offense to where you aren't asking him to be this clear-cut route runner, you're just asking to find ways to get open for him to be able to box out defenders and pick up those hard yards. That's where he's going to have a nice little role for himself in the NFL. So I think that, and, and honestly, this is where I think the wide receiver run needs to start after Jackson's been inching, but is right around 23 to the end of the first round. So if you were to say Quentin Johnson goes top 12, I'm a little hesitant, but at number 23, I think that's a very good location for him. And I do think that he can garner first round buzz for that reason. Yeah, I agree completely. And uh, let's kind of transition over to Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I'm guessing kind of by the tone of that is your number one guy. 
Yeah, uh, he. I will say he is the one guy right now that I have to go back and redo my big board. But he was the only guy that I grade out with a full fledged first round grade, and that was before the combine. That was, I mean, that, that was before the uh, the pro day at the combine. I was really impressed with how he worked on the short to intermediate stuff. And I think that that's a really important thing is that when you look at the speed of a wide receiver, if you're not wanting a vertical threat guy, I care more about those 20 yard shuttles, those three cone drills, those numbers, I think are going to speak volume for what you're looking for in a route runner. And that's where he thrives. That is where he makes his bread, but bread and butter is pristine route running, good point of an attack, uh, easily able to manipulate defenses because of the quick cuts that he can make. And I think that it just shows you that when you look at an offense that featured two 1,000-yard receivers last year in Chris Olave and in Garrett Wilson that immediately flourished in the NFL with New Orleans and New York respectively, this is a guy who can be just as talented and was more talented in terms of production last year. And I think that a lot of people are going to limit him inside of the slot but I don't know if that's going to be his entire home. Like, I understand that there's going to be those limitations because of size, but I also look at what he's been able to produce when you go back and watch his high school tape. He lined up as a Z. He lined up as a flanker. He lined up everywhere on the football field. And when you have that capability of just being able to be a good route runner, that's what's going to take you over the top for me. And, and that's why I think that I graded him out a little bit higher than a Quentin Johnson, who is my wide receiver number two. Okay. Um, I'm very low on Jackson Smith and Jigba in comparison. Okay. He's my wide receiver five. Wow. Uh, well, okay. I, he, uh, well, I also have five wide receivers with first round grades. They're all low first rounders, but I kind of have five guys in the same glut. Smith and Jigba worries me a little bit just because I worry about what his ceiling is. And it's not necessarily he can't do it, but I haven't seen any evidence to me where I think he can be pressed consistently off of the line of scrimmage. He hasn't been asked to do it. There hasn't been opportunities for him to do it. But I also haven't necessarily seen anything that tells me he's going to be able to do it. Whereas with Justin Jefferson, you saw evidence in his sophomore season that he could win on the outside against press coverage. Things were obviously way different for him in in 2019. But you saw little glimpses of it and like, okay, I think that can translate. I have questions about it. I don't know if he can or can't. So that just drops him a little bit lower for me. I also think that that four five three really helped him because I thought he was a lot slower than that. I saw him getting caught by like like jag Utah defensive backs in the Rose Bowl who probably have no business playing in the preseason in the NFL. Odie, you're fine. Yeah. Relax. Um, and like it's less about what I think his high end is. I just have questions that I don't have answers to, and that's why he ended up being as low for me. But I I still think he's a really good football player. And But I will say, unlike what Chris Olave says, I don't think he's better than Olave. But I also might be the highest person on Chris Olave other than his mother. Yours truly had him as wide receiver one. So, I mean, I, Same loved, here. Yeah, I loved everything about Chris Olave. I, I thought that he was, for what you wanted in last year's draft class, I thought every single receiver had one thing that stood out about their game, whether it be the vertical speed of a Jamison Williams, whether it be the physicality and contested catches of a Drake London, whether it be the route running skills of a guy in Garrett, uh, Garrett, uh, Garrett Wilson, whether it be, you know, the ability to have the good speed and connectivity and yards after cats like Jahan Dotson. I thought Chris Olave could do it all. And I was over the moon when I saw him be able to land with New Orleans because I thought New Orleans really needed to figure out what they wanted to do with Michael Thomas 
they're bringing him back because of, you know, Derek Carr wants him back. Okay. I mean, if you want to stay the most mid team in the NFC, go ahead and do that. But uh, I just look at what his upside is. And I thought, this is a 1500 yard receiver who can win with route running, has good speed, can take the tops off of defenses, but is going to be able to work the middle of the field as well. So I love Chris Alave. Of the three, I think that he, I think, I still think Jackson Smith is the worst of the three. But that's not me downgrading Jackson Smith and the Jigba. That's mm-hmm. me more so praising what Alave and Wilson were able to do, even though you had a quarterback in CJ Stroud really target the middle of the field, work that slot receiver position to his advantage, really kind of go and build that rapport with JSN, where he still had that with guys like Alave and uh, Wilson on the outside. But I just felt like Wilson had every single box checked for me in terms of wide receiver one when going into a draft. No, I, I'm I'm with you. I was I was over the moon about Olave. I think Wilson ended up being my number two. But I thought when you translate to the NFL, I thought if there was going to be a guy who came in and played like Justin Jefferson, I thought it was going to be Chris Olave with how he's able to just snap off routes, create that instant separation, and he's able to go win at the catch point. The yeah. one thing that people were concerned about was like, oh, can he get yards after catch? He's he's not very physically strong. Get him in a true NFL weight room. I think he'll end up being okay at that. But the other stuff you just can't teach. And uh, if he gets three yards after catch on average, but he continues to win 20 yards on the field, I don't care. I'll live with it because that separation is just nuts. Like, that's the thing is that if he's getting blown up by a safety that's coming over the top because he won at the point of attack against a corner, I'm not complaining because of what he brings to an offense is just speed. It's pristine route running. It's the ability to manipulate cornerbacks. And it's his catch radius. I, I just love everything about his game. And I think that... Spitna Jigba, just go back to him real fast, will mm-hmm. win with several of those. I think he can win because of manipulation, because of his footwork. I really do like his footwork. I don't think that long speed you're going to see. So what you saw with Chris Alave, you will never see with Jack Spitna Jigba. But you, that doesn't mean he won't be successful. I do like his route. I do like his route running ability. And the one thing that you notice, and Tyler, you know this is because of we love college football. There has not been a more decisive and coachable teacher than Brian Hartline when it comes to developing wide receiver talent. So those things are going to translate to the NFL to where if you don't have a wide receiver coach that can make those same type of situational purposes, you still are going to be successful. And that's, that's one thing that I think it has with Giants and Jigba. So that's why I thought the three cone drill was really, really important. I thought that the, the 20 yard shuttle was really, really important to his numbers and I thought that he did amazing at that, and he did amazing when it comes to his route running, to where that 4-5 speed is going to benefit him, but it's also not going to be a reason why, in my opinion, I knock him down a grade or move him up a grade. It, it just is those other traits that I really saw about him is what made him stand out to me. Fair enough. Uh, we've talked about your number two, uh, one number two receivers. We talked about my one and five. Cole, who's your number three? I like Zay Flowers. I think that Zay Flowers is going to be a guy who is going to be really interesting to see because of we're kind of hearing opposite of what we heard about JSN, where JSN was a slot guy who probably is going to be listed in the slot, but maybe some teams want to move him inside. I mean, move him outside where a majority of reps last year, Zay Flowers was actually outside. He was an outside receiver and made a lot of plays on the perimeter than he did inside, but some people are saying that he's an inside guy. I look at everything about his game, and I really think that the 4-4-2-40 time was benefactor to him. Out of the 10-yard split of 1.35 showed where he can bring 
that quickness to the game. I thought that he had a good broad jump, good vertical. I really, really liked that he was a player who has a good separation. I, I thought he had good separation skills personally in the ACC. And he did so with really mediocre quarterback play. Like that's a thing that I think is really important because when you have CJ Stroud throwing you the football, whether it be last season or during his freshman year, JSN's going to make a lot of plays. When you have Caleb Williams as your starting quarterback, you're going to be fine. Whether that only ends up for Jordan Addison being 892 yards or it ends up being an average of 11.7 yards per play. But when you're a guy like Zay Flowers who has to deal with Phil Dracovic and whoever else played quarterback for Boston College and you're still putting up the numbers that you are, that shows me that there's a lot more to your game that I think will translate to the NFL in, a, in, a, in an, an adversive way. I think that he does a lot of good things. The one thing that I worry about is will he be a guy that has a couple of drop passes in situational moments? I, I thought that that was one thing that I've noticed with him is that he can be a hit or miss, but I still think that the route running is good. I think that he is able to change speeds at a, at a, at a, at a very alarming rate. So he can go from quick yards to vertical presence up the field like no one else's business. He can go ahead and change at the pinpoint to work back up field to where a cornerback maybe isn't going to be able to play and move their feet to where they can cut down and make plays in the ball. And I think that there's a lot of other things to where he can really be a good open field type presence guy. And so there's a lot to like about him. I would say this is a guy that I would target very, very early day two or at the very end of round one. Like if you're a team that is picking, say, in the 40s, and you want to go trade up with like Kansas City, or you want to go trade up with like Cincinnati to make sure you get your wide receiver. This is a guy that I would probably go ahead and target, would be Zay Flowers at the end of round one. I think what was really impressive, and you kind of mentioned it with Zay Flowers, is it's kind of like the Terry McLaurin effect in Washington. No matter who his yeah. quarterback was, he just found a way. He found a way to produce and get it done. And I thought that was really, really remarkable, especially considering how that Jeff Halfley offense has just cratered over the past couple of seasons. And like COVID, I think hit them harder, like as a, as a general like rule on the field than anybody else. Um, and then Phil Dracovic's broken wrist and like everything just snowballed. But one thing that really intrigues me about say flowers, his ability to track the football down the field is just spectacular. No matter where that ball was going, he was able to find it, get under it, catch it and then get yards after catch. So he wasn't even like, diving for it, and then the, the route was over. He was able to house some of those. And I will say, I did not come up with this comp, and I'm very intrigued by it. I want your thoughts. Brett Coleman comped Zay Flowers to Antonio Brown. I heard and this one, it's a, yeah. It's, a, it's very lofty. Now, when I use comps, I like to do play style. So my I'll, we'll talk about my comp for Josh Downs when we get to him because I think their play styles are incredibly similar. But I don't think he's too far off as far as a strict play style, even though like the, the, the high-end ceiling of what that comp is is remarkably high. It, it's stupidly, ridiculously like you are setting him up to fail high, but I still understand where he comes from. I, I do. And, and Brett Coleman is one of the goats when it comes to breaking down film for the common fans to truly understand. So he not only will show you routes of what Zay Flowers is going to run, he'll bring it down in like week 18 of 2014 where Antonio Brown ran, ran something similar. So you'll see how they actually correlate with each other. I personally think that he can play on the outside. Brown played a little bit of inside-outside throughout his career, which is why I can definitely see it. I think what's really impressive about him is that change of direction, which was something that Antonio Brown did 
out the wazoo was just his ability to separate and change at the drop of a hat. And I think that the hands thing is going to be the one thing that would I would say maybe for me separate it to where I never had to worry about what you had with the likes of Antonio Brown's hands, where maybe you will with Zay's, depending on it. But the tracking skills are on point. The route running is on point. The speed is on point. Change directions on point. I don't hate the comp. I I I, I don't hate it, and and it's a lofty comp. But if you watch it, you can see where the conversation is. I, at least in my opinion, you can see where they have a lot to like about it. But uh, but again, you, if you say if like Mel Kiper does what he always does, where he brings up like, oh, this guy has the speed of this player and the the hands ability of this player, you're gonna set him up to fail. So it's like it's lofty. But I don't hate it, and I, and I see it. I, I see, especially in the route style and the route tree of what they have. That Mel Kiper Jr. is just the mainstream version of that David Montgomery graphic, where he's got like the feet of Le'Veon Bell, the physicality of Saquon. Like that's just Mel Kiper. Open field um, running of Ezekiel Elliott. That's not a cop anymore. That's actually a negativity at this point. But you know. <laughs> Yeah, Aziz Alshayer buried him into the ground on that last play in San Francisco, and his career just ended, unfortunately. Um, that is, yeah, to me, Flowers- probably the best story of all time. He's not even in his last place. Dallas Cowboys are running back at the center, and everyone's making the joke about him being overweight. Uh, it's tremendous. Um, yeah, Flowers is my number four. I, I really like him. Um, but I will say that I, I think that there are, there are a couple guys better than him um, that we have not talked about yet. And let's, let's kind of transition into your number four, Cole. Who do you have? Uh, Jordan Addison for me, it would be okay. right now. Um, I think that him and Josh Downs are fighting for my number four spot at this point. I really do like what I've seen from Josh Downs. I also like that there is not just film, but there's also a lot of film on Jordan Addison being successful in the slot and also being successful on the perimeter. And what was really interesting is that if you go back and you watch, they ran him a lot in the slot. At Pitt. Like when he was at Pitt, they primarily had him inside. And then they flipped it when he went to USC. So that route running skills of what he has, I think is going to really benefit him. He was going into the draft as probably my number one, only because of the injury concerns with JSN. But then he runs the 40. And you cannot be that size and run that slow. And I understand that you're a good route runner. And I understand that route running to me is something that I look at as one of the biggest traits i think that speed is important but i also think that being able to change direction and being able to plant your feet into the ground and make a cornerback fall for second double double moves is just as important if not more important when you're that slow it's going to be something that i really really am going to nitpick and that's why i am very hesitant about a guy like jordan addison where if minnesota was a team that wanted to draft him if you trade down and draft him, then I think it's a really decent find. But at 23, I don't think you can take him there. I, I think that if you want to trade up, so, I mean, if you want to yeah, trade out of the first round and take him at the very start of the second, that'd be okay. But there's a lot of negativity with this game. Now, there's a lot of positivity with this game. I, I like his hands. I like his production. I, I, I mean, again, he's a Fred Bolitnikov Award winner for a reason. So there's a lot of potential for him. But 4-4-9-40 at that size is not really going to be a lot of favors for you. I think also when you look at him, you may now have to say that you have to rely so much on the route running to where he's not going to be a playmaker that gets a lot of yards after the catch and have a good separation skill. But I do think that he can accelerate. I think he does a really good job of being able to be slippery after the catch, being able to make defenders miss in the open field. 
when he gets that opportunity. But at the same time, you're playing against Pac-12 defenses versus NFL defenses. It's going to be a whole plethora of a wake-up call for you when you get to the next level. Oh, it absolutely is. And one thing that intrigues me about Addison is it's really going to be about fit. And you kind of mentioned like Minnesota. I think that Minnesota would be a really good fit because of how they utilize their wide receivers. Now, one thing that Kevin O'Connell's prioritized historically and becoming from that Sean McVay tree is their wide receivers need to be able to block because of 11 personnel. One thing that I think might be different is it looks like they're transitioning more to a 12 personnel base and and shifting more towards a Kyle Shanahan style offense, which is going to be a fascinating dichotomy from what we saw last year and then moving forward. But Addison in those condensed sets, I think would eliminate a lot of some of those negatives. And now you're not going to be able to always use condensed sets. Like that's just, that's not how you can run your offense because eventually they're going to catch on to you and then they're going to be able to adjust. But Utilizing him in condensed sets, getting him free releases, and making it so his like 175 pound frame doesn't get physically attacked at the line of scrimmage, I think would be the best case scenario for him. Even though like it's not going to be an every down thing, but you can utilize it a lot. I think so. I I think that again because I've been studying a lot of Kyle Shanahan's offense because Bobby Slowick's coming over. So, and Bobby Slowick is a disciple of the Shanahan's, whether it be underneath, um, underneath uh, uh, Mike or whether it be underneath um, yeah, Kyle. The thing is, is that you have to be a good blocker. Like that is one trait that if you are a wide receiver, you have to have to be in this offense. Do you think that his body will be able to hold up against physical cornerbacks, whether it be in the NFC North or AFC West or anywhere else out there, do you think that if you're playing in press man coverage that your body will be able to hold up and run blocking? And if you think that, then I understand the fit because of that's one thing that I've noticed with the receivers that have been added to Houston this offseason in Noah Brown and in Robert Woods, both the rolling blockers. And so if you have that, and if you're going to try and run that style of offense, and Jordan Addison can do that, then by all means, go ahead and target him. But if not... I feel like that you have to go in a different direction. So it, it's one of those things where 176 doesn't really worry me if the speed was up there, but the speed isn't. So can you add a little bit more weight without taking off a few more seconds off your time? And if you can do that, then maybe I would be able to be a little bit more less hesitant about you would probably be a good word for it. But the route running is there. I think that's the number one thing about him. I think everybody knows that he is a pristine route runner and he is able to work really well after the catch, at least he did it in the ACC, and he did in Pac-12. And I don't really worry about the touchdown ratio. Like, again, th- there's sometimes where a quarterback will just utilize you for yards after plays. He'll utilize you in different ways. Like, what, Terry McLaurin gets, like, an average of, like, what, 14 yards per play every single season and over 1,000 yards. He, like, has four touchdowns a year. Like, that doesn't bother Touchdowns like, are random. Yeah, it's just like, it, it, hi, I got open on this one play, and the quarterback saw me. Cool. I went 60 yards and scored. So that's not a problem for me. It's more so, will his body hold up in press coverage at the weight that he's playing at to where he won't lose even more speed than what he already has? From what I thought he was already, when I thought that he was actually going to be a lot, lot higher. I, I was not saying four, I mean, like four, three, eight, but I was thinking more so like four, four flat. Okay. Uh, now, one thing that is going to help Jordan Addison as far as trying to project him to the NFL is the success of Devonta Smith with the Philadelphia Eagles. Very similar body types, not too dissimilar of styles either. And Smith has shown himself to be a very capable wide receiver too. And obviously they drafted him at 10 overall. They wanted him to be a one, but AJ Brown became available. Now they have that true alpha and Smith can just be Smith and not have to really stress too much. 
what about his success in Philadelphia has you potentially believing or not believing in Jordan Addison? You know, I've heard the comp before. I see more Calvin Ridley personally with a guy like um, with a guy like Jordan Addison. But I understand where you come from. But route running is key because the route running will allow you to be able to win at any point of the attack. And that was the biggest thing about a guy like Devonta Smith coming out of Alabama. He was known for his limited size, nicknamed the Slim Reaper. But his route running was going up against cornerbacks in the SEC, some of which are playing in the NFL now, to where he just absolutely had them guessing, whether it be with a double move or whether it be with the quick cuts or whether it be with his ability to work really fast and uh, kind of have that separation skill from the get-go. That's what really stands out. And because of you have a number one already in Minnesota or you have one in Philadelphia with A.J. Brown and their physical the attention goes to that side to where when you win, as long as a quarterback is going through his reads, he will be able to see very fast how wide open he is. And then they just get the ball in his hands. They let him work. And that's what's really worked. I think for a guy like, uh, like Devonta Smith is that he wins at the point of an attack. He's able to go ahead and use his route running skills to his advantage. And even though there is the limited size thing, it doesn't really matter because if he's just so quick and decisive with his cuts, with his ability to change direction, all those skill sets to where if you're trying to make Jordan Addison that, that's probably where he's going to be, he's going to thrive in the NFL level is based off of that route running and ability to mismatch and, and create misdirection. Yeah, I I don't disagree. Um, Addison's my number two. I just thought his route running was so so superb and. I like to l- try and learn lessons uh, within the sc- context of scouting. And one of the biggest lessons I learned is if you can separate in college with technique, you're probably going to be able to do that in the NFL. But I do completely understand and agree with the kind of weight and physicality concerns. It's, it, it is something you have to take into consideration because, I mean, we're talking about it with cornerbacks with Emmanuel Forbes. Devin Witherspoon's only 181 pounds. Like, can those guys handle press coverage in the NFL for the exact same reason we're talking about Addison? Like, it's it's something that we have to be mindful of. Like Clark Phillips is a guy that I really, really like. And he's another one that weighs in, I think at like what, 175 pounds or something like that. Like that's another guy that like I'm I'm kind of worried about in that sense. So the smaller you are, does that not translate? But again, I, I've I've said this from the get-go. I love route running. If you can win mm-hmm. as a route runner and you can win with technique as a route runner, there is a home for you in the NFL. And honestly. In this year's draft, when you're talking about upside and potential and all that, it's kind of like a Jordan Addison is what you see is what you get kind of dude to where if you were to tell me, oh, he's one of the best number two receivers in the NFL three years from now, I'm not going to be shocked because that's where I think he's really going to be successful is because of that technical skill set. And that was what really separated him at Pittsburgh. And that's what really made him not a star, but the weapon that I think Caleb Williams tried to rely on as much as possible in USC. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about number five, and we kind of already revealed that here before the talking about Jordan Addison. That's Josh Downs. He is my number three. And before we really get into it, I want to throw this comp at you. I don't think he's quite as physical, but his game, and obviously I saw a lot of him when he was in Minnesota, his game reminds me a lot of Stephon Diggs and how he really yeah. dips his hips and explodes in and out of cuts. Uh, this then the graphic that Dave has of Josh Downs, just phenomenal with the 1990s North Carolina unis. I just, oh, I just love that shot. Oh, they're one of the they're ugly. They're ugly in the best way possible. Yes. Uh, what do you What do you think about Josh Downs, Cole? 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Separation, I think, is one thing that I really like about his game. I think that he can separate. I love his footwork. I think his footwork may be one of the best in this year's class. He does a really nice job at the point of attack. He does a really good job at the line of scrimmage, being able to manipulate off uh, uh, cornerbacks. He's got he's got ups. I mean, he I, he's got the ability to leap. Like, I mean, that's that's one graphic that you see. But there's plenty more out there. If you go back and watch the film with Sam Howell, and you watch the film with Drake May, he's got a lot of capability to be able to make those type of plays. Um, another thing that I think is really interesting with him is that he's got the long speed. Like he can be a guy that can win deep downfield. I think, I think he tracks the ball pretty well as well. Um, not just with highlight plays, but also with the ability to kind of, uh, make those basket catches to what you want to see. Uh, I, I like I really do like the comp for Stefan Diggs. Um, I think that he's a good outside receiver, which is what I think is really going to make him a name to watch for, where you can know that he can be a guy that can win on the perimeter. Uh, I think that he is really, really versatile when it comes to his uh, when it comes to his overall uh, play style. The route tree is going to be the one thing that worries me, but that was the thing that also worried me about Deami Brown when he was coming out. Like when you know a Phil Lungo offense, like they tell you to run like six things and then that's it. Like that's what they ask for at in, in Chapel Hill, and, and that's like one thing that I think is going to be concerning. But if he goes to a team that knows how to like build out a route tree he could end up being one of the best shooters. Like, I loved the Amis Brown film when he was coming out in 2021. And Josh Downs completely has surpassed that. I think he's a better route runner. I think he's got better speed. I think he's got better hands. I think he's got everything that you want in a complimentary piece. And I think that the other thing about him is that you know that he is going to be able to be kind of that security net. And you saw it last year. And I also think that, like, Terry McLaurin's not a good comp for him, but what I like is that he's just so productive with whoever is his quarterback, whether it be Sam Howell, whether it be a Drake May, uh, whether it be, you know, if you want to go back for another year, uh, I mean, there was a there was a battle going on between uh, May and I forget who the other guy was off the top of my head. Um, but th- when that battle was going on, like he was just making highlight grabs in practice and every single person mm-hmm. was just like, Downs is going to be a name that you want to know in the ACC. So he's that not security blanket, but he is Mr. Consistency. And I think that that's what you're really looking for for any team that maybe is going through quarterback struggles or quarterback concerns. And like, maybe they have to go rotate some guys. He will be the same wide receiver regardless of who is throwing the football. I think that's kind of an interesting argument with downs because I wouldn't want to use him as a security blanket, but he's a fantastic one because he can just get open on those little shallow whip routes, get open on crosses and, you know, and, 
just do all those little nuanced things with his footwork and his quickness to be able to get open and create separation quickly to be able to enhance that quick game. Like if you were to bring Will Levis in the NFL, you'd want a Josh Downs on your team because while he learns the rest of the nuances while playing quarterback, he's great at quick game. Give him yeah. that kind of confidence and really establish him early on. And like if, say, the Texans were to take Levis, and for your sake, I hope not. But uh, not just with the options that you, with the options you have available to you, I hope you don't end up with Levis. But then you could double down with it downs at thirty three, and you could feel pretty comfortable about where Levis is sitting. You have a uh, decent offensive line, still needs a little work. You've got Pierce. You have some good weapons, including a returning John Mechie. Hopefully, that his body is ready to go after dealing with cancer this past year. But you're in a good spot. And I think utilizing Downs as a security blanket early, and you can really get him to es- expand the rest of that route tree with his skill set, and then you can use him to attack down the field. And even though he's small, he doesn't play small. And I think that is what really intrigues me. He can go up and get a contested catch with the best of them, and he's not going to get out physical by a lot of these cornerbacks because he's going to be able to attack the ball at the right spot in the air and be able to come down with it. Like... Brandon Cooks is not a good comparison, but if there is a player that I'd be okay with replacing Brandon Cooks in this offense, it would be Josh Downs. And I think that at 33, that's where you kind of want to target him. And like at the very start of round two, or if you trade back a little bit, let another team come up and maybe get a pass rusher, maybe get an interior offensive lineman, and then you get him. I also don't mind it for a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young if they were the quarterback. I still feel like because of you want to have that guy on the outside who can maybe do a little bit of everything, but especially with those quickness routes to where you're trying to just get the ball out very fast, especially if you're getting pressure up the middle from like a Grover Stewart or like a DeForest Buckner, like that's a guy that I think is going to be able to make that impact. And you saw it multiple times last year where Brandon Cooks' route tree was very limited because they're just like, dude, get him the ball and let him just work after the catch. If you had to do the same thing with Josh Downs, I'd be okay with it because I think that that's where you want to win is with that quickness, that quickness ability is where he's going to be successful. And that comes down to footwork. Yeah, his his feet are just magic. And that's why he ended up being my wide receiver three. He was the first member of the all Forno team that's going to come out the week of the draft as I continue to get some of these scouting reports done. We've watched more receivers than just the top five, so I want to kind of highlight a few of them. Um, let's talk about the Tennessee boys because there's a lot of talk uh, surrounding Minnesota about Hendon Hooker and this offense. And I wrote a piece of why the Vikings should avoid drafting Hendon Hooker because that veer and shoot with a lot of those air raid and run and shoot principles, it's not exactly a good translation. Doug Farrar of Touchdown Wire wrote essentially what I view as a counterpiece. And Dave, I haven't told you this yet, but we're going to have him on the show next week to talk about it. He he basically made the argument that it, it doesn't matter and it showed points where he is actually making these progression reads and he's actually doing some of the things that you see from a pro quarterback. I didn't see that personally, but I also know Doug knows more about football than me. So who am I to necessarily disagree with him? So we're going to talk about it. Where do you stand on kind of this Tennessee offense as far as a projection to the national football league? There's a lot to like about it in terms of like the style of offense when it comes to the receivers, because if I do think the receivers benefited from having a guy like Hendon hooker, but you can make the same argument that Hendon Hooker benefited from having these receivers. Yeah, I am really, really low on Jalen Hyatt. And that is not to say that I think Jalen Hyatt can't be successful in the NFL, but I just haven't seen enough outside of this past year, number one, and also when it comes to 
his route running to where I think he's going to be a difference maker in the NFL. I, I, this is the easiest comp for me that I've ever done. Um, I see a lot of Will Fuller with this game. I see a lot of guys yeah. who can just be vertical presence. Easily, you want that speed on the outside. You want him to be able to win at the line of scrimmage and then just absolutely be wide open 30 yards downfield and walk it in for a touchdown. And sometimes you'll be able to get that, depending on the formation and the coverage that you see. And sometimes you won't. And if you don't have that, then I think that's a little bit of a concern for Hyatt. I love Cedric Tillman. Cedric Tillman is mm-hmm. if I had a uh, if I had a uh, uh, like a, what is it your uh, your Fornis um, uh, all Fornis team the all Forno team yeah Cedric Hyatt, Cedric Tillman would probably be one of my receivers on on my all Thompson team like that's how much I love him and he is vastly underrated he is vastly mm-hmm. underappreciated all across NFL boards and, and he was a vastly appreciated I remember last year going to SEC media days and I remember writing out my list of my all-SEC team. And I was livid that Jermaine Burton got more votes than Cedric Tillman after a 1,200-yard season with Hendon Hooker as his quarterback. Like, that absolutely bothered me for a while. And I think that there's so much to like about him. Number one comes from NFL bloodlines. I think that his uncle and his dad played in the NFL for a little while. So he automatically knows, and he's been part of the process growing up, of being able to be in that type of mentality of what it takes to win the NFL. Physical is guy. his uncle Peanut Tillman? No, no, I think I think it is actually. I think it is Charles Peanut. Okay. I think it is Charles Tillman. I I think it is Charles Tillman. If I'm not mistaken, I I gotta look that up. But I think it is Charles Tillman. Uh, physical okay. guy, uh, physical guy, and, and maybe he's not physical in terms of the style of play, but he's taken a lot of hits and he's gotten right up and bounced off, uh, bounced off linebackers and bounced off cornerbacks and been blown up by safeties and hasn't really been unfazed by it. Um. He's played in big games. I think I think that like when you look at the games where he was really successful in 2021, it was against Georgia and it was against Alabama. He had like, what was it? 18 or 19 catches or something like that. And he had like 300 yards and a touchdown and two touchdown passes. So the guy has played against what many of us would consider the closest thing to an NFL style defense that you will see in the SEC. Like the year that Tennessee played against Georgia in 2021, that was the year with Trayvon Walker and Jalen Carter and Darian um, uh, Kendrick and Keely Ringo. And he made magic in that game. And I think that's a lot of things that you can like about him. I think that he's got good control when it comes to catches. I think that his body control when he goes down, making a play is really impressive. I think that the other thing that I really like is that he can make plays in traffic. He can work the middle of the field pretty well. And I just think that there's going to be, when you compare him to where maybe he goes end of round two, early round three, versus where Hyatt goes end of round one, early round two, I would not be shocked to see better production from Tillman than I would from Hyatt. And I just, I think that the things that I like about his game will really translate to the NFL a lot faster too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm very low on Hyatt too. Hyatt too is my wide receiver 10. All he does for me is zoom, zoom. And one, one of the tough parts for me, is, especially about trying to extrapolate what his actual success in that offense was, is you could argue Josh Heupel has been the best play caller in the NFL for the last decade. And he is brilliant at understanding matchups and exploiting them and then spamming it, spamming it, spamming it. And you saw that in the Alabama game where like, 210 yards, five touchdowns against the Nick Saban defense. You're like, whoa, what in the world is going on? And then DeMarco you kind of watch the film over the top. Yeah, that was what's yeah. going on. Yeah, exactly. You basically had him matched up against a safety you can't cover worth a damn. And a you just, damn. hey, I'm just going to run fast and Hooker just 
the Rosa lollipop. Okay, that doesn't really show me you can win in the NFL. It shows me that Al Davis would take you at seventh overall in 2005. Like, yeah. that's that's to me what Jalen Hyatt is. And Cedric Tillman, in a class that does not have a lot of size, he is the guy that I think I think he'll end up going top 50 because I, if you want a guy who could potentially be an X and a number one, I think his 100th percentile outcome is that for Cedric Tillman. Like, talk, talking about, like, maybe, like, a 90% of a T. Higgins. Like, a guy that you put on the outside, you have a good guy opposite him, and you can just pepper him with targets, and he's going to come down with him. Like, you don't have that guy. Quentin Johnston is, but other than that, like, we'll talk about Bryce Ford Wheaton in a little bit, but there are some interesting things with him that will kind of maybe prevent him from being that guy. Like, I love Tillman, and I think that he's going to go a lot higher than people expect. I hope so. I I, I hope that he's appreciated the way that he wasn't in, in the offense for uh, for Josh Heupel. And again, he was appreciated by the way that he ran. But you mentioned it. Uh, I think he's what six foot four, if I'm not mistaken. Six foot five, uh, six foot three. But he's also 218 pounds, so he's got a little bit of size to him. And he's a guy that I think works the middle of the field really well. He's a guy that can be your X type of receiver. He's a guy that I think can win with route running, but he doesn't have to rely heavily just on route running. And he's a playmaker. And honestly, like if he goes to the right offense, it's another one of those conversations where right scheme fit ends up benefiting for you for the long run. And if he ends up being a number two, I mean, like people don't understand the way the NFL is going nowadays. Look at the AFC and NFC championship. Three teams had two receivers that all could have been number ones on almost any roster. And when you have that, and one of your guys is number two, it, 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 it's very similar to what a Tillman is. I like. I, I saw a comp for Michael Pittman Jr. for Tillman. I'm not crazy in love with it. I'm not hating it because of the size thing. Like, it, it, I, I get where like kind of the comp is. I, I think he's much more physical personally than Michael Pittman Jr. That's just my personal belief when it comes to a guy like Tillman. But Tillman, I think, can be an immediate plug-and-play starter, depending on the offense, and he can be a playmaker that really relies on that physical presence. And that physicality is going to benefit him, especially because he's already been physical in college, and he's already gotten those hits and blows, and he's just bounced off of them and been able to stand back up and run around on the next plane. Yeah, um, I'm, a, I'm a big Tillman guy. And one, one guy I really want to talk about is, as we're talking about these big guys mentioned earlier, is Bryce Ford Wheaton. Uh, West Virginia kid, I watching that opening game against Pitt Thursday night, you have a lot more eyeballs on you. Plus, it was the return of the backyard brawl, which yeah. um, that that rivalries like that going away is the only reason why money is ruining college football because it, ju- it just takes a lot of the heart out of it. And I, I love just those, in college football, would you say? Top five or ten? Um, I would say I would say closer to ten, but it, it it really depends what part of the, the like the country you're from. I think to me, the biggest rivalry in college football has always been Texas Oklahoma. Um, outside of Army Navy, Army Navy is a lot less about football and a lot more about military pride to me. So I kind of put that in its own little bubble. I don't really include it because it's it's just so different. Then, then you've got – I've always loved Texas, A, Texas A&M. That's gone. Florida, Florida State has always resonated with me more than almost any other rivalry, but I'm also a big Gator fan. Yeah. USC, Notre Dame has lost some luster since the Bush push, but that's a tremendous one. Michigan, Ohio State. Uh, like, There's some phenomenal ones, and probably 
my one of my personal favorites, um, LSU and Alabama has just consistently delivered year after year after year for the last decade. It doesn't matter how bad one of those teams is, it just always finds a way. No, it's one of those games where you don't really you throw out the stat line. You just let them play football for sixty minutes and crown a winner. Like that's what it's always been. And, and like yeah. as as a Bama grad, like I, like everyone's always been like, well, what about the Iron Bowl for you? I'm like, if you're asking me, the third Saturday in October usually is better. And honestly, the LSU night game because because it's always at night too. Like it's always at night, and the atmosphere around that game is phenomenal. And I feel like that at this point, the way that these two teams come at each other and the hype around the game, and every single year you can see an upset. It just makes it that much better. Like, like I remember going to college and I remember when, yeah, the TJ Yeldon play in 2012 and it was all LSU. And then that one play and it changes the game. Like that's what you see always with LSU and Alabama. And also yeah. you kind of see a lot of what these players are going to do at the next level because they want to win this game and they put it all mm-hmm. out there. And it's always a game that like, if I'm ever wanting to watch defensive backs, especially like Pat Sertain, uh, Brian Branch right now, I'm watching a lot of Eli Ricks, I'm turning on the Alabama-LSU game. And I have to because of, I know I'm going to get their best play in that game. Yeah, um, I'm a big Brian Branch guy. Uh, I would love him at 23, and it looks like he may be falling, which with a trade back, yes, please. Uh, but Bryce Ford Wheaton, huge guy, dominated in that backyard brawl, as I said. And he did not produce this year, and I don't think that's necessarily his fault. That offense was really anemic with uh, JT Daniels at the helm, and they lost uh, their starting running back for a while. And it just, like, he got 60 balls for 650 yards, but nothing was really that impressive as far as looking at the box score. But when you watch the tape, he's a leaper. He can attack down the field. He wins at the catch point. He's pretty good with the ball in his hands for being such a big guy. And then he goes and runs like a 4-3-5-40. And you're yeah. just like, whoa, okay. But then I've I've heard rumblings that he doesn't necessarily love football. You kind of see some effort lapses on film. Like, How are you contextualizing Bryce Ford Wheaton considering all the information we have? Let me ask you, when you've watched him, have you noticed that his route running is very lazy? I think it's probably yeah. like, that's a word because like, I don't think that he's a bad player and I don't think that he's a bad route runner. I think he's a lazy route runner. And that's what really bothers me. And when it comes back to the whole, oh, he doesn't really care about football. Like that's where it is because of everything about him is capable of being a, as not only a successful receiver in the NFL, but a really damn good one in terms of production and value. Because if this is going to be a guy that still goes on day three, in my opinion, I don't think a team's going to bet on him at the end of round at the end of round three. I could see maybe yeah. mid mid round four, early round five, just because of the 50-50 jump balls, the catch radius, that four three nine speed. Speed he can't teach. But like at the same time, if he doesn't care about the game and he's not a player that's going to give a hundred and ten like a hundred percent in practice then it kind of is a wash. Like that's where you are. And maybe it was because of the offense that he played in. I mean, listen, I'm not saying that you're going to get really bad play calling from um, uh, Graham Harrell, who was the OC last year there, but you're not getting elite play calling by any means. JT Daniels is a quarterback. I mean, he, he was at one point, one of the top tier quarterbacks. Now he's a, a, a quarterback. Like, and the, and the way the season just started unfolding, especially for Neil Brown, who was, very much on the hot seat. I have no idea how we survived the offseason after all the expectations and winning big in the transfer portal. But, like, the fact that you had that, 
like still going on. Like is like maybe that's part of the reason why he got sloppy with his route running. Maybe that's part of the reason why he seemed no nonchalant. But big frame, you can't teach big frame. You either have it or you don't. Four three nine speed, you can't teach speed. Either you have it or you don't. Uh, contested catch rate is arguably one of my favorites I've seen from him in the Big Twelve. I, I think that like that was one thing that really stood out about me is that when you watch him. Even if it's an errant throw, if it's in the direction, he has the ups to be able to go make the catch and bring it down to where I think that will benefit him if he's especially a wide receiver three or wide receiver four very early on in his career. Um, and I think he's got the ability because if he's got uh, he's got pretty decent long arms too. So like he can kind of like reach out and grab a football that's really far over. The, so he can, if he's willing to be physical and he's willing to go ahead and make the play, he can dive and be able to haul in that football to where if it's really that far past him, he still can make a play. It, it's just, I think, honestly, effort. And effort's going to be something that either he has to be able to sell to teams that, listen, I was in an offense that didn't really cater to my skill set. I was working for a team that just was finding ways to embarrass itself on Saturdays. I wasn't limiting the offensive play calling. But if you let me work... I will find success for you. And I think that's really kind of the big thing that you're looking at is all of these traits, all of these upside skills. And if you think that he cares about the game and that he really wants to be, really wants to be in an NFL locker room, then those traits alone are worth the pick. And then you just got to be able to get the best, best, best play out of him. But there's a lot to like about him. There is a lot to like about him. It's just, does he care? And, and again, it goes back to the route running. And every single time that I'm watching him run routes, it feels lazy. Lazy is probably the only cop I could say for the word. Let me ask you this, because when you're drafting a wide receiver on day three, you're usually asking these guys to play special teams. Do you see Bryce Ford Wheaton as a guy who's going to play special teams? He's kind of big for He's like big. a special team punt gunner. Like that, that kind of is like a little bit of a red flag in that sense. <sighs> I don't see him as a gunner. I mean, like maybe if you want him to be like a somewhere on kickoff or a kickoff return, like inside maybe. But I mean, at, the, at that point, you got to hope that he's going to give the effort like that. It all comes back down to effort. And that's really where like these niche players come in because of on day three, you're looking for specifics in a player and the specifics for a guy like Bryce Ford Wheaton are got size, got speed, got ups. But what about everything else about him? Will he be willing to go ahead and make a play in the open field? Will he be willing to uh, lay down his body and deliver a hit? Will he be willing to learn how to get better as a blocker? And so where for me, and you and I make it be completely different on this guy, uh, like Tank Dell is a guy that I like at the very start of day three. And it's because of that special team set that I think that he can provide for you. Where I love Tank I'm not. See, and exactly. And, and I and I like Tank Dell. I don't like him where some people like him. That's that's probably where I, I think we separate from it. But doesn't mean I don't like him. But I think the value is he will provide he will provide something on special teams for you. Where maybe you won't have that with the Bryce Ford Wheaton. And it may just be because of number one, where does he play? Like where does he line up on your special teams? On punt return, on punts, on kickoff, on kickoff return. Where are you gonna put him? And number two, you've already we've already said that there's already a little bit of an effort thing that worries me. Will that effort be able to pan out when he gets to the next level? And they're basically saying, you want to get more reps on the field, you better start winning in special teams before we even consider you as a wide receiver four or wide receiver five. No, I feel that 100%. Um, I, I'm a big tank down guy. I think that it's it's that separation we talked about with Josh Allen. We talked about with Jordan Addison. 
that ability to separate with his feet. And I've seen him win off uh, against press off the line of scrimmage in games. I've seen him do it at the senior bowl when all they're doing is getting up in your face and he's doing it with quickness. He's doing it easy and creating that separation. I think his, his range starts at about pick 75. I think the back end of that third round is when you're likely going to see him. Uh, people are going to be like, well, two, two out. Well, one top 55. Yeah. Well, the Rams don't know how to draft. We've known that for years that like they make big mistakes in the draft and they continue to pay for it. And now they have a really depleted roster. Uh, like, I don't think that he's going to get that high, but I do love the skill set that he brings. Uh, let's let's get a couple more guys in your call because I know we got to get you out of here pretty quick. Um, I can't remember if you told me this pre-show. Have you watched Marvin Mims? Oh, that's my guy. That is my guy. Okay. That is. Let's talk Mims. Everything about Mims. Okay, okay. The fact that he was probably the one player that really, I think, got, got his draft stock hurt from when Caleb Williams left is why I think I really love him because everything about his skill set, in my opinion, screams value, 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 because this is a guy that I think is going to fall into day two conversations. I would say late round two to early mid round three, but this is a playmaker. This is a guy, this is a yak guy. This is a guy that's going to get you anywhere between 15 to 18 yards after the catch. This is a guy that is, in my opinion, one of the best when it comes to tracking the football. I love his tracking skills. I love his ability to line up anywhere on the field. If you want him in the slot, he can take reps in the slot. If you want him on the outside, he can take reps on the outside. Uh, I think that he does a really, really nice job of being an operator when it comes to his footwork, when it comes to his route running. I think another thing that I really think is really, really interesting about him is his ability to really win with more physicality I, like he I, he's a very underrated physical type of player in my opinion and I think that I think that also with him is that his run after the catch ability is what makes him so dangerous to where if you want him on those short yard situations quick little screen routes he's gonna win that way if you want him on those on those like 18 yard comebacks he's gonna win that way I just this is my guy this is my sleeper like I will if, if he had Caleb Williams this past year, are, are we talking about him in a higher light uh, just because of how weak the draft class is and the production that would have probably been there? Because even though he was fine with Dylan Gabriel, I think that he would have been much better when it came to Caleb Williams. I think that that would have really benefited from him. I think that that really would have helped him and would have helped Oklahoma. And I just look at why this is some player who an NFL team is going to say, if you watch what he's done with other quarterbacks, he is going to be a difference maker for our team. And, and just, Value alone is why I love this pick and why I love this kid. I, I am Marvin Mims stand. I've been Marvin Mims Mims stand since last year when he played up against uh, Texas. I, I, I will stay Marvin Mims stand for as long as possible. Where is he going uh, in the draft? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be just be for for me just because if I want to cover him if he comes to Houston I will literally lose my mind and be the Brandon Coach replacement. Like <laughs> I, I, if he was there at pick number 68 and they just found a way to get him in the building. Just uh, for me, Giddy, I, I would just, I would love it. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of offenses that he would work with too. And I think that the fact that he's a guy that is a yak machine is what's going to make him coveted by teams, especially at the end of round two, early round three. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you there. I think, I, I think Mims is, is going to be undervalued in this class. 
especially because you have Jalen Hyatt, who everybody's just raving about, but I think Mims is a much better player. There's that catch against Texas. The catch against Texas Tech is the best catch I have ever seen. And that came literally days. uh, The one where he like reached around the defender's back and grabbed it it one-handed. Yeah. Um, That was days after the Justin Jefferson miracle catch against Buffalo. Like that was better than that one. And Vikings fans are going to kill me for it. I don't care. That Mims (laughs) catch was phenomenal. Um, one more guy I want to talk about because he's it's a weird one. There's been a lot of rumors about why he's not going back to LSU, and that's Keishon Boutte. Uh, thought to be potentially a top 15 pick going into the year. Now he's maybe a day three guy. Like, where, How are you contextualizing him? Well, he wasn't the guy for LSU, and maybe that was just because of, you know, Brian Kelly is a different style. He brought in, brings in a different style of offense to where – they don't benefit from it. I, I think one thing that I learned about him really fast was that you are utilizing him, in my opinion, in the slot. Like, that is, like, pigeonhole slot guy. That is what I, I, I personally, I just think for him. I think that he's a guy that is going to be able to win because of size. I think he's a guy that's going to be able to maybe create uh, vertical separation. I think that there's a lot about his game that if you have to turn on the tape from 2021, that will make him be really a standout player. But this was an offense that really didn't know, I think, how to utilize him properly. Uh, I spoke to some people down at LSU. Uh, there was just a very big separation in terms of what he wanted for the offense versus what Brian Kelly wanted him to do in the offense. And that ultimately led to him kind of being not in the doghouse, but never really the guy. Like Jarre Jenkins ended up being like a guy that they really, really targeted for Jaden Daniels. And, and it's funny because of you know, he's a dude that can really work with a lot of different routes. And I think that when you look at LSU core, LSU receivers, the route tree is what benefits them a lot, is the fact that they know, they know how to run almost everything. So I consider that a huge plus for him. But, you know, is it an attitude problem? I mean, like, th- like this, this is why scouts are doing, like, their massive homework on a guy like Keishon Butte because of they want to know – what went wrong? Because at the same time, he was also expected to go back last year. Like he was on the team, and then there was a bogus report about him and a bunch of other players like doing things behind closed doors that we're not going to get into because I don't want YouTube taking us down. But like there was a bunch of that stuff going on behind the scenes, and then it was like the attitude issues and his relationship with Brian Kelly wasn't good, and that led to ultimately him leaving. So. He is a wild card type player because of the numbers weren't good at the combine. His last year production wasn't good, but I just feel like, you know, like when there's like that first round wide receiver that like every once in a while will make like a highlight play a season and then he'll have like an injury. and will be like, well, if he comes to this offense, he'll be completely different. That's kind of where I'm at with the Keishon Butte is like, if he goes to the right offense, I, I, I can't quit him. Like I, I, I want to see what he can do. And like, that's kind of the point is that, you have to understand that his draft stock is plummeting fast, but maybe just with the right team, it ends up being really beneficial to him because if I do like that vertical speed, I do like that vertical, the vertical routes that he's able to run. I do think he has an expressive route tree. I just wonder what was the ultimate problem between him and Brian Kelly? Cause this was a guy that earned the number seven and the number seven is synonymous yeah. with LSU football. So like the, the, the like the leadership thing is as well. Like if you're like, well, if you hate his leadership, then why don't you ask him to change his number? Like if that was a problem, because mm-hmm. like that, like those are things that I look into and it's just like, 
there's so much that I don't know what went wrong this season for Keishon Butte. I had heard that after the first couple games, they moved him into the slot because Jaden Daniels wouldn't throw to him on the outside. Um, I don't know. I don't know the why, but that it kind of at least explains why they moved him into the slot. I think for me, my biggest worry with him is that broad, that vertical and broad jump being so bad, a 29 inch vertical for a guy who looks that athletic on tape scares the hell out of me. And he ended up dropping from my wide receiver, like at seven to wide receiver 11. I just, if you're supposed to be this explosive guy, how in the world can I trust that you're, you're still explosive when your explosion scores stink? Like that's, it's, it's a big red flag, but at the same time, the reasons why he ended up leaving the program after saying he was coming back, there's a lot of rumors and hearsay that we won't dive into, but we've all heard it's, it makes him a very intriguing guy that, as you said, scouts are going to have to do their homework on. Like, okay, we, we knew what happened with Tyreek Hill when he was in Oklahoma State, so it's not a fair comparison, but like, what you knew about Tyreek was if you were able to figure out the whole, like if you were able to figure out what went wrong and you liked the film enough, you were going to take an outlier on him. And maybe that's the case when it comes to a team that really wants a Keishon Butte. And again, the athleticism thing where, you know, you look at how horrendous numbers, I mean, he had one of the worst combines. Uh, he was one of the biggest losers of the combine, in my opinion. So, if you put him in the slot and you just let him just go get those quick yard and quick yard plays, and then hopefully he just wins with physicality and athleticism, maybe that builds up his confidence, and then the confidence helps him, you know, not really worry about all the explosivity traits. So, like those are things that I look into. But yeah, this is one of those times where the tape in 2021 doesn't match tape in 2022 at all, and also these conversations that they're having with coaching and with scouts and with uh, people in the, in the, in the building, that's really going to play into his draft grade to where maybe they'll say, listen, him and him and, and, and BKNC eye to eye on a lot of things, or maybe it's the fact that he was being selfish in the offense. Like those are things that scouts are going to have to relay back to general managers before they make this pick. But I like his state. I mean, I, I, I do like what I've seen from him in the first two years when Ed Orgeron was running the show. Yeah, I agree. Um, It'll be interesting. Cole, we have been talking here for an hour, and I can't tell you how much I greatly appreciate your time. Um, Tell the people where they can find you and uh, what all you have your hands in, because I know it's a lot. So I do overnight radio. Uh, I'm on Sports Map Radio. If you want to listen to the show, it's called Just Saying It. You can download it on iTunes, Spotify. You can download it on the likes of the Sports Map Radio app. You can download it on um, what else? Uh, Audio Boom. There's a lot of different pilots for you. I cover everything from the SEC to parts of multiple teams in the NFL. And uh, I am working on my top 150 big board that will be released sometime within the next two weeks. Uh, I'll figure out where I'm going to put that platform. But yeah, uh, that's where you can find me. And if you want to give me a follow, at Mr. Cole Thompson on Twitter. Fantastic. Uh, Dave, do you have anything for Cole before we head out tonight? Well, he said overnight radio, I think of UFOs. Anyways, um, (laughs) no, you talk about the the Bama-LSU rivalry. 50 years ago, it was Bama and Arkansas. That was the biggie. And, uh, but uh, yes. They're both good rivalries. I like that. I have nothing. I just want to thank you, Cole, for coming on. 
It's been a pleasure. I love your insight. Keep up the great work. I love talking to you guys. Tyler is one of my favorite people to mess around with on Twitter. Uh, He and I are probably two of the highest people that we've ever seen on Anthony Richardson. Like we've always thought Anthony Richardson was good. So I'm going to stand by that and just go die on that hill. I'm not going to do what I'm not going to do the Malik Willis one, but I will die on the Anthony Richardson hill. So (laughs) I'm fine with that. Uh, But make sure you guys go check out Tyler's podcast. Make sure you guys continue to subscribe to the show. They do phenomenal work over here. And Tyler is one of the smartest people I know to where if I'm trying to figure out more insight, I get a lot smarter when I read his work and I listen to the show. So make sure that you do so as well. I appreciate that. And I've already died on the Malik Willis Hill, and I'm prepared to die on the Anthony Richardson Hill. I would like the flag now. I am fine with it. I have I have wanted him to start since he got on campus. Um, like this dude was turning heads in Orange Bowl practice 2019. Like this this dude has it. And I'm really excited to see what he has. Don't forget, guys, we have more coming up next week here on The Real Forno Show. Multiple guests talking about more position groups. And don't forget, Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. Central Time, two old bloggers. You won't want to miss it. Thank you all for joining. Please like, comment, subscribe to help us continue to grow the channel so we can have Cole back on at a later date. In the meantime, Skull Vikings. Skull Vikings. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notifications. It helps us grow this community, and we all love our Minnesota Vikings. And on behalf of Tyler Fornis and myself, Dave Stefano, thank you so dearly for watching The Real Forno Show. Skull, everyone!